Well, it's wonderful to be together uh, this morning. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Grace Church. And uh, this month, um, the pastors are giving me some extra time off, so I'm taking some time off this month with my family. And so as we're doing that, we've been bringing in some uh, guest preachers, and uh, you are in for a treat in just a moment. I want to introduce uh, our preacher this morning. Uh, next week, by the way, we're going to have a guy named Rick Gamash here from Minnesota. And if any of you guys have heard him uh, preach, he is extremely gifted, so eager to have him with us next week. So I want to give you a heads up on that. You really won't, won't want to miss that. And you won't want to miss Billy right now. Billy's, I'm so eager for you to hear because I've already heard the message and know what you're going to hear this morning. And someone at the end of the first service said, hire that guy. As soon as he reads. And I said, you know what? I may never come back. I may just, and he said, this is what he said to me, we'll trade you like a silly band. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, I may not come back after what you're about to hear. But Billy, thank you for being here. Billy's preached here one time before. He was an instant uh, Grace Church favorite, which is one of the reasons when we looked to this month, about five or six months ago, we, uh, we said we've got to schedule him to come back. Um, so it's a joy to have you here, Billy, and we, uh, those of us who know you, really love and respect you and your family. I'm going to let you introduce your family, but uh, I'm so thankful for your friendship, and uh, I not only know, Billy's not just some guy on the circuit who's popping through here or something like that, but we have a relationship together. I have an opportunity to serve in their church in Midland, Texas. He leads a church, it's a sister church of ours in Midland, Texas. And uh, so I'm able to be with them ever so often uh, each year and also um, with him on the phone and by email. And so we have a working relationship and a friendship. And um, Billy, I want to thank you for your, your heart for me and for this church. You're a very gifted preacher, which everyone will hear in a minute. But, but what I appreciate about you is that you are a, uh, you are a pastoral man. Uh, you love people. And the love of Christ just exudes from your life. Uh, and from Jan, your wife as well. Jan, we're so glad to have you and the boys here as well, uh, or they're, they're moving. But uh, so glad to have you with us as well. Billy, as you come, I just want to communicate my love and respect for you and really read a scripture that I think characterizes your life. And uh, I know no higher compliment than saying, I've seen you live out this verse in John 13. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And uh, I, this, I, this man loves people and uh, with the love of Christ. I've stayed in his home a number of times, so I've been able to observe you love your wife and love your children. Um, I've been among, with you among your church, so I've been able to observe you love the people in your church. You've loved us. Uh, you loved uh, my wife Ginger and me and our family so so well. You've you've cared for us in many ways and encouraged us in many ways. So thank you for trusting Christ and uh, for allowing Him to shape your heart to love others. You, uh, when I see you, when I interact with you, Billy, I feel closer to the Lord. I feel like the love of Christ is touching my life. And so thank you for that. Thank you for being an example. And someday, I mean this, when I grow up, I want to love people like you do. So come bring us God's word, Billy. Let's welcome, let's welcome him. Thank you. Who is visiting today? Could I see your hands? 
come back next week, okay? <laughs> because it gets better, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, guys, it is so good to be with you. We, we were so anticipating this trip for a number of reasons, and this was one of the highlights, to be able to come and try to give some sort of care and encouragement to you. It would never compare to what we've received from you by way of Craig and Ginger, um, by way of Pete and Betsy, by way of Rob and Michelle. Um, I, we would love for you to come to West Texas, but there's really no reason to come to West Texas, um, except if you, it, the sunsets, which we're going to talk about today. That's very good, honey. Thank you. Um, uh, we, we'd love for you to come out to experience just the sweetness of what God's doing there. The, the church in Midland is, is, is just, it's exciting to be there um, uh, the Lord has been so faithful, and we have grown as a church because of the care we've received uh, through Craig and Ginger and, and just the Sovereign Grace family. Thank you for understanding that. Thank you for, for seeing the need for pastors to need pastors. And I just, I don't know how to say it any better than that. Thank you for letting Craig not only care for your heart, but for mine too and for my wife's and my kids. Um, so thank you so much for that. Speaking of my kids, um, Will, would you come and join me just real fast? Come on, son, come on. This is no time to disobey. <laughs> Not, no reflection on you, total reflection on me. Um, this is my son, Will. And uh, part of, the, uh, part of this, this week is uh, this is not only one of our highlights. Another highlight is that we are moving him into his dorm at Dallas Baptist University on Wednesday. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Be careful. It, and if we could have a prayer team for my wife after the service. Um, she's just, bless her heart. This, so this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so I want you to, t- if you can't, to get your cell phones out, take pictures of his face. Um, my number is 432-638-0277. If he's not in church next week, would you call and let me know, okay? And, and his phone number is... Anyway, so, you know, it's a joy for us. Jan was just saying this a few minutes ago, that, that this is our first to leave the nest, so to speak, and go off to college. And, and we're excited about what God's doing in his life, and we're excited that he's going not to have to not only start school and look for a home church. We're so excited that there is already that church. Uh, So thank you for caring for us in so many ways. (laughs) Thank you, son. (laughs) Uh, Your mom told me to do all that, Will. So, um, Guys, would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning? We're going we're gonna to look at verses 22 through 24 and then 26 and 27. Um, the, the title of the message this morning is um, kind of a unique title. I think you'll see it in the text. Uh, Anger, Sunsets, Satan, and Grace. Um, last week, I know you heard an, a wonderful message from Pete about hope. And I think this week, it's kind of neat how the Lord just kind of tailors some of these things that we're not smart enough to know how to do, and he's just weaving all these things together. Um, 
if there's an area, I just want you to know, just, just by the very virtue of using the word anger to begin with uh, this morning, if there's an area in my sanctification that I, I can regularly be very discouraged in and feel like, feel like I'm not changing in. Is there any parts of your Christian life like that? It's like driving across West Texas to East Texas. I mean, I drive past tumbleweeds, and I could have sworn I passed that tumbleweed way back then. You know, it's like I'm not making any progress, or the progress is so slow that it's imperceptible. Boy, in the area of sinful anger, that's an area in my life where it's easy for me to lose the hope that we have in Christ. And how timely of the Lord to speak to you last week about hope, and then this week, as our hope is rooted in, in Christ Jesus, to be able to now take that theology and target the issue of besetting anger with hope. And that's how I, that's how I hope <laughs> this will come across to you this morning. If we'll be faithful to God's word, I know it will be. Uh, but just to give you a little sense of where we're going this morning. So would you read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, and then 26 and uh, 27. Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church about the wonder of being made new in Christ. And then he's going to be able to give just examples of, of how God glorifies himself in a new people. And then he takes just real down-to-earth, wearing tennis shoes kind of stuff, and he's, he connects the new life, he, he connects his glory. Glory is a, a one-word way to say God revealing himself for who he is, right? We want, we want him to be glorified. We want him to reveal himself for who he is. And so he's going to tell us here, he's going to say, listen, here is the new life, and here is how I reveal myself through my people. And one of the areas is in giving them grace to know how to respond to life without being sinfully angry. So good. It's so hopeful. And so you'll see that in this very first part. So please root everything this morning on these verses, not just on don't be angry, okay? We've heard that. Uh, But root it in why we have hope to respond righteously when we are given situations that uh, may where, where anger may be the outcome, okay? So it, pick up in verse 22. He's saying we're to put off the old self, or we actually have put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Let that one sink in. Isn't it good to know that your future is not, de- not a, 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 a totally dependent upon your past. Your future is not dictated by your past. That was your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And there's where the teaching of God's word comes in. And to put on the new self, the new man. It's, it's not a better you. It's not that you're, you're just a better you when you get saved. Literally, you've put on Jesus Christ. Christ is your covering. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your clothing. Christ is your thinking. It's just oh, so hopeful. You've put on the new self when you were born again. And this is the great news about that new self. God created you anew after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
And then he's going to give just different life issues about how God glorifies himself. So let's jump to verse 26 and this life issue. Based on the new self, based on Christ in you, your hope of glory, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So this morning, let's contrast a little bit. What we're very familiar with in in our own experience is the misery of anger but we're also going to become more familiar this morning with the fact that there is, there is a realm where we can respond righteously to life situations in which there actually is a majesty to anger in regard to how God uses it righteously to solve problems rather than create problems like I'm very familiar with and you probably are too when we've, when we've been sinfully angry. So I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want to give you an, illust- an opening illustration that I think, I hope it will have the impact in you just so that it's had in me. Um, imagine being awakened at three in the morning from the sound of gunshots. You, you get out of bed, you stumble out of bed, and, you, and there's an urgency that my first concern is protect my family. So you move them into, into an interior closet as the shots are ringing out. It sounds like there's a war breaking out around you. And as your family is huddling in an interior closet, you, you, you go out to the windows and you begin to carefully look through the blinds to see if you can get a better sense of what is happening in your neighborhood. There are now no more gunshots. What is breaking the silence of the night are sirens. Those sirens have now surrounded your neighbor's house as well as the flashing lights from the police. And you begin to try to imagine what has just taken place a few yards, a few yards away from my property. And you lift up a silent prayer for God's mercy. But before you can even say amen... There's a knock at your door, it's the police, and an officer comes into your home and he's, he first checks to see if you and your family are okay, and then once he sees that you're safe, he begins to ask you some questions, and it's about the husband and wife that live next door. Did they seem to have problems? Did you ever hear them arguing? Could you ever imagine them becoming violent? And you're dying. Your heart is breaking here. And you finally just burst out to the, to the police officer. Are my neighbors all right? D- did you catch the gunman who caused all of this fear and pain? And the policeman bows his head. And with great sorrow, he lets you know that the gunshots that you heard, they appear to be a murder-suicide. Both of your neighbors, the husband and the wife, were dead. I know that is a sober way to begin a sermon. Um, Our hearts grieve over the stolen lives that are lost in that violence. The misery that act inflicts upon family and neighbors and friends. Why would I use such an introduction this morning? Because for me... I need wake-up calls. And I don't know that there is a better physical description of portraying some spiritual reality than to view my sinful expressions of anger against Jan or my sons most frequently, unfortunately, 
but to view them in, in the same kind of way, in the same kind. I want to have the same grief over, over my transgression when I sin in my anger with Jan or the boys as I would about this murder-suicide because spiritually, isn't it real, really that same sort of thing? Isn't every outburst of sinful anger something of a murder-suicide? Jesus put it this way, when you've been angry in your heart, what does he say? The Lord sees it as, you tell me, it's murder. It's not just a divine omniscience that is seeing that. God is, God's not just, just opening the door of eternity and letting us try to see things from His perspective, though that is true. But what God is also telling us, he's, I, think, I think there is this cry from the heart of God to say, please don't be in denial about anger. Don't be in denial. Because there is a strategy to sinful anger. And its strategy is not just momentary. It's not just for you to try to silence the opposition that you're facing. It's not just try to try to eliminate the irritation that you're facing. There's a strategy to anger. And if anger, if the sinfulness of anger were to go unchecked, you wouldn't just stay mad. You would murder. You see what the Lord is saying to us? It's a serious thing. He says very much the same thing about, about lust. It's not just seasonal. It's not just the summertime. It's not just when we, when we would tend to think of ourselves struggling more often than not. God is saying it's not just the season. If lust goes unchecked, its goal is to get you to adultery. And, and I think that that murder-suicide picture Man, can you imagine if there was a spiritual police force? (laughs) Sirens would be... (coughs) Our neighbors wouldn't want us in the neighborhood anymore. The sirens would be at my house all the time, not because of my family, because of me. Murder, suicide in my expressions of handling life inappropriately and self-sufficiently in regard to anger. Not only that, my heart breaks because you never sin alone. You never will. You might think this is only affecting you. You may think this is just something between you and your spouse. Oh, my goodness. When I was a kid, my mom and dad didn't know Christ. There was violence in my home. My mom, black-eyed. I can remember my mom throwing knives at my dad. And they're just... And when that would start, they would st- the anger, the, the, the yelling would start. And I can remember running to my room as a little boy. We had, I had a TV in my bedroom. And, and I remember closing the door and... It's one of those days where there was no color to it. It was black and white. And you can just picture the face of a little afro-ed head kid. No mustache, just big nose still, right? Um, and just that black and white glow, I turn my TV up full blast, and I'm just sitting there. I'm trying. Oh, I don't want to hear this. Because there's collateral damage. We never sin alone. So, now, I know this is kind of heavy to begin with. But listen, if the destructive force of anger can be that, that sober, what must the delivering grace of Christ be like? Isn't his grace greater than all of our sin? Isn't that the, so that's where we're going to go with this this morning. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 26 and, and 27, Paul will, in, it will certainly instruct us and warn us about 
the destruction of sinful anger. But more than that, he's going to remind us that while there's destruction in anger, there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. There is deliverance. So whatever your situation is, you might, you might find that maybe some, some heart questions to begin with would be helpful. Do you, are you more aware this morning of a, an offense against you Are you up to date? Are you current with an offense against you as though it just happened this morning, but it was like three years ago or four years ago? Very easy for you, out of the abundance of your heart, to talk more about the offense than you are about other current events. Uh, There may be a heart issue there. There may be some, some issues of anger that God wants to deliver you from. How about this? Just in the course of correcting, there's, there's, a, there's been a wrong done and you're bringing a word of correction, but you can't stop with just the word of correction. It's almost like a shark when he senses blood in the water. You keep saying it again and again. and you, you've, It's just the weirdest thing in your spirit. You're just, you, you didn't stop with the correction. It's almost like you, there's a knife and you have to twist it. You can't just stop with an observation or a correction. You, you continue to go on. That may be an indication that there's an issue of your heart that needs to be resolved, and God will do it. How about this one? Have you ever just wanted something so much? You've, just, appreciation. I just want to be appreciated. Husband may just say, I just want to be respected. If she would only respect me. Um, it might be you just want fun. I just want to have fun. How about this? I just want to take a nap. Would you please leave me alone? I just want to sleep. I just want to have a clean house, right? So it's not just you know, World War Three issues, is it? It's, it's a sock in the living room floor. You know, it can be those kind of things. And yet, you find yourself repeatedly being given into a, really a besetting sinful response rather than having some sense of victory and hope. All of those, all of that is for us this morning. And just so you'll know that the guy talking to you is no prince of peace. <laughs> You know, um, where are my sons? Yeah, they're smiling. Yeah, thanks. You don't have to point them out. <laughs> um, just so you know how recent this was, I knew I, I was preparing to, to preach this at our church in Midland. Two weeks ago, we were in Fort Worth, and Micah was playing in a state baseball tournament. And uh, sports have a wonderful way of revealing the abundance of my heart. And, and oftentimes, God gives me grace, and I'm, I cheer in a very Christian cheering way, you know? Um, but this, t- this time, I'm sorry, listen to my speech. I'm even getting convicted about what I'm, how I'm phrasing this to you. This time, as though, <laughs> usually, I'm a very holy guy, right? No. Here was the situation this time in which I sinned. The umpire... The other team, our, when, when we were playing defense and the pitcher's throwing, that other team is crowding home plate. Their elbows are hangling, dangling over home plate. And our pitcher's throwing curveballs. He's throwing strikes. I was sitting behind home plate. He's throwing strikes, I think. Well, I think he is. But it looks like he's throwing strikes. They're covering the inside corner. But the illusion is because, you know, those guys are going like this. You know, you know so the ump calls ball. Ball, ball, ball. Oh, man. I'm getting mad. And I leave the stands, and I go over to the fence, 
And the other fans are, that are, and, and the boys that had a rough time, there was a whole bunch of story behind this that I can't tell you. You also should know that the night before, we were brand new on this team. Micah was picked up. We, he didn't play on this team normally. It was kind of an all-star sort of thing. And so he, we didn't know the people. It, very unlikely that these folks really knew the love of Christ. And so the night before, Jan and I, so you'll know, okay? So you'll know, the night before, we're talking to all the parents about, oh, and Jesus, and yeah, and he loves the world, and you know, and, and we're looking holy, right? I leave the grandstand, and I go to the fence, and other people are yelling and everything, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to chime in. And right when I'm going to speak, it's like God stood up off his throne and said, be silent, everyone! The world needs to hear what's about to happen. And it literally silences the, the state, this, this whole yard goes quiet except for big mouth here and i and i'm and i don't swear i didn't swear i didn't but i said just because they're crowding the plate doesn't mean they're still not an inside corner <laughs> tweet tweet crickets are chirping and i know i start to hear Stan saying, was that the preacher? (laughs) (sighs) The umpire rips off his mask, marches over to our coach, and says, that guy says one more thing, he's out of here. I'm going home. And I'm going to preach this just a, a week later. And so the umpire's going back, and I did do this. I did say, Mr. Umpire... That was me. I'm sorry. I'm guilty. I won't do it again. How I love the thought of not just responding righteously when I've sinned. How I love the thought that God would give us grace to overcome that temptation without falling all over my face in sin. Right? So I'm with you in this. This is not anything that we're looking at doing by ourselves. Um, God, this is spoken very much in a, in a corporate sort of a, a sense. This is a very much y'all kind of passage uh, in the sense that God is wanting us to help each other overcome besetting sin issues. And anger is one in particular. So let's, let's unpack the text. But would you first join me in prayer this morning? Um, this is not, oh, just in case you, you're just kind of doing, you know, a thing or you're kind of covering yourself up because... Uh, Nobody's going to talk to me about this. You know, I, listen, I'm not trying to put a dagger in you. Um, I think the dagger's already there. I think the Lord wants to take it out this morning. Okay. Precious God, it is a joy to know that you have made us new after your likeness in true righteousness and holiness. It is a joy to know that the sin we're about to examine was paid for at the cross. It is a joy to know that we are accepted in Christ Jesus, declared righteous. It is a joy to know that from Christ in us, we will overcome. 
So Lord, would you just bring sweetness and deliverance to us as we learn to walk out righteousness and to see you glorified in our responses to opposition. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first, first part of this is God and righteous anger. And that's from Ephesians 4, and we're going to just put it 26a. And when Paul says, be angry and sin not, what is, what is really exciting to, to read and experience is that he's actually at this point quoting from the Old Testament, which, you know, so many things I'm going, oh, man, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. Be angry and sin not was an Old Testament scriptural quote. And why is that so good to us? Because before Paul begins to help us deal soberly with with uh, heart-ruling issues that result in anger, he wants to build your faith. And so he, he gives us this quote, and here's the first four verses of Psalm chapter 4. David writes this, and he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? What's happening here is David's relating to God's faithfulness, but now he's dealing with what he's dealing with. God, you're faithful, but boy, I'm sure being opposed here, I'm being persecuted, I'm being lied about. In this sense, he believes he is more of an innocent victim rather than people responding to his sin he, he, he just, he's, so he's, he's going through the same emotions that you and I do. God, you're good. You're awesome. But I'm, being, I'm facing some stuff here. I'm facing some problems here. And then in verse 3, he reminds himself of the Lord. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So this isn't happening to me apart from God's sovereign care from his wisdom as to what I need and how he wants to transform me and how he wants to use me. So he's reminding himself of all that. He reminds himself that the Lord is hearing him as he's calling to the Lord. And then, very similarly to the passage that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He begins to essentially preach the gospel to himself. And he says, it's it's almost as though he's saying, So my soul, be angry and do not sin. Instead, Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Almost an Old Testament way of talking about be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I think here's what Paul's doing. I think what he's saying is, if God gave grace to Old Testament saints prior to Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and gift of the Holy Spirit, how much more does he give grace to us on this side of the cross to have victory over besetting anger. Are you with me in that? So it's Paul's being this super-duper pastor, and he's wanting to help you. Before he takes us into dealing with some hard issues, he's wanting to say, let me build your faith. God is able to do great things in your heart. And if he was giving David a sense of victory in the Old Testament, how much more are you under grace? that is reigning in our lives. So I think there is the quote from Psalm 4. And now, based on having faith to deal with this issue, he then begins to unpack what it means to be angry. 
The word for anger, it's, it's in the form of a command. But God's not giving us permission to be angry. It's not, wouldn't you love to answer that altar call? Anyone that wants to be angry, come on down. You know, yeah, man, I'm just, he's not giving us permission to be angry, nor is he saying something like this. It's almost defeatist that's just kind of saying, well, you know, really no big difference about being a Christian. You're still going to be angry. You may as well face it. Oy vey. You know, you're just going to, you know, so just try not to sin when you're angry, right? It's neither one of those. I think what, what, what Paul is saying is that Every day of your life, there's going to be these opportunities. You're going to face challenges every day. And you're going to have to make choices about self-sufficient responses to your situations versus dependent responses to your situations. There's going to be things that are going to come into your life that there should be a righteously angry response to. We're going to tailor that out in a minute. But you need to know how to handle that appropriately. You need to know how to extinguish sin, sinful anger appropriately. So I think what he's, what he's doing is saying, get ready. Life is about to hit you. That's not going to change. But greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So he goes a little bit further. And the word for anger there, it's not like what my understanding, my kids, this is what breaks my heart, is my kids are so familiar with my kind of anger, I think that they would be a stranger to God's sort of anger. Um, it's not the explosive yelling, <laughs> it's not the yelling at umpire kind of anger. That's not what, what the scripture's talking about here. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not flying off the handle in some uncontrolled sort of way. This is talking about an anger that's really rooted in conviction. It's talking about an anger that's really rooted in principle. And for God to be having that anger, it's really rooted in righteousness. And so that's the word. When he says be angry, he's saying there is a response to believing truth about God that we should have that precedes even um, anger when we're tempted to be angry. So... Um, in verse 24, he gives us the hope that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says, I want you to be imitators of, of God in this. So when he says, be angry, then the best next thing we can do is to say, okay, how does that look? If, if in my new creation, if I'm a new creation and I'm, I'm made in the likeness of Christ, what does being angry like Christ look like? Okay, and so we just turn to to Jesus and let's look at a couple of ways that that we can have hope of responding to trial and opposition the way Jesus responded to trial and opposition. One of the ways you can know that and be guided that, that there's a righteousness, a response that's needed in regard to life's trials is that if the name of God is being mocked, if, if, if there is a sinful issue that's defaming the name of God and destroying man, there should be a righteous response to that. I'm concerned that in, in some of our teaching in anger, that, that we've almost, let me see, listen to what I'm trying to say here. We've almost feminized the church in the sense of that all anger is bad and that we shouldn't have any righteous. Listen, with the issues facing California, with that proposition about the sanctity of marriage, the church should have some sense of righteous response in that. And why? Is it just for the defense of the family? No, guys, no. It's because. Christ intended marriage to be a display of the gospel. 
The husband represents Christ. The wife represents the church. For there to be a man and a man or a woman and a woman, it's defiling the gospel. It's causing children not to be able to see the gospel preached. It's not just the, it's not just pulpit preaching our kids need. Our kids need to see displayed in front of them the way dad loves mom is so much like Christ. You see, there should be some sense in us of indignation, but it's not just about how this affects my children in this fallen world. It's that it's about His holy name and the means by which He's given man to be saved through faith in Christ. That's where God's wanting us to respond righteously. And so now, do you begin to see? So let's look at Jesus in the temple, right? We're all pretty much familiar with that, right? That story? So here comes Christ in the temple. Understand, before He, he wove this, the, the word for whip there speaks of, of uh, he didn't just pick up a whip. He, didn't, he wasn't going Indiana Jones on him, you know, kind of a thing. He literally weaves together a whip. So even Christ is very measured in his response to these oppositions. He was, he was slow to anger in this sense. And he comes into the temple, and the blood is being mocked. The representation of what Jesus would do on the cross, people are making money at it. And the name of God is being dishonored. And so Jesus wants to come back in. He comes into the temple, and his passion is to restore honor and right thinking. So look at this. There's a very righteous goal of anger. It's to restore right thinking about the nature of God and his heart for people. God's not charging you to get saved. You don't have to pay more to be Close to Jesus. And so he comes in and in restoring honor to his name, he drives out the cattle and the sheep and he tips over the tables with the money. Now understand, all of those things can be recovered. But if you'll go to John 2, fascinating thing to me, that in the midst of this, of this righteous anger in restoring honor to the name of the Lord, he comes to those who sell the doves. Doves are tough to get back, Right? You can chase down a cow, right? But if you go and start knocking out the dove cages and stuff, those things go, and it's very, listen, see, I would kick dove. I'm I'm a macho guy. Give me the doves. I'll kick them around, you know? That's my, that's how I would understand anger. Don't think that Jesus was like that. It was the coolest thing. So he drives all these things out. They can be recovered. There can be a new way of doing it. But to those who have the doves, remember, this is for the poorest of the poor. God loves the world. And he died to save his elect. And so he's, he's, he's saying he gives the doves back to the dove sellers. Is that unbelievable? I mean, it's like he's saying... I'm in total control here. And my anger is to accomplish a righteous end. Now, you know why that's such good news for you and me? Jesus is in our lives, isn't he? Please, guys, this is not just, okay, let's all be happy. 
This isn't just don't be angry. You have been joined to the King of kings and Lord of lords. The same Jesus who gives the doves back to the sellers is the same Jesus who is in you this morning. And that's why we can have hope to have an overcoming life in this area. Does that make sense, guys? Another angle of that is Jesus... It's, it's the Sabbath and the man with the withered hand it comes forward for healing and the Pharisees are mocking and wondering, what's he going to do on the Sabbath? And is he, he going to work on the Sabbath? And all these things. And Jesus comes and he heals that precious man's hand. And the Pharisees are just ripping their hair out about it. And the Bible says this. It, just, it, it directly says, Jesus was angry at it. But here's what it also says. And he was grieved over how hard the hearts were that were feeling this way. Okay, let's bring it back to you and me. I got to tell you, when I heard about this legislator, the Supreme, whatever, the court official who ended up saying the vote in California is irrelevant, democracy is irrelevant, um, I'm just going to say that there can be gay marriage, essentially. Um, I got to tell you, I got ticked, but I wasn't grieved. I think that's one of the distinct ways God glorifies his name in his church because we rise up to preach the gospel more, more passionately, more devotedly. But aren't we, shouldn't we also be people who go, dear God, I pray for the soul of that, of that uh, judicial person. I'm grieved over his soul, Lord. He must not know you, Lord. How about with your marriage? And there's been a dispute in your marriage, and it's all about who's right. It's not about what's right. It's just about winning, and you're throwing bombs and grenades at each other. And Versus saying, well, you know, there is principle here that we need to follow. There's truth in Scripture. But, Lord, give me grief. Please, Lord, let my heart be broken for the need of my spouse. I don't want to just react to their anger. Give me a broken heart. I want to pray for those who persecute me. I think that's what God's wanting to give us hope, that the same Jesus that did those things is the Jesus who has joined himself to our lives in making us new creatures. And there's a hope for us in that. R.C. Sproul, he, he talks about, listen, if somebody told you they're hurting, you would rise up with compassion. Why don't we have the same response when t- somebody tells us they're angry? Sproul says, you know what? It's sin. There's still sin and selfishness in the midst of it, but so often when someone's angry, there's, there's pain often involved, and they're not responding to pain right. Have you ever come home worried about something, hurting about something, and, and somebody gets in the way of all of your worrying, and you respond in anger? Shouldn't there be some sort of compassionate response that says, I know you're, you're displaying anger. Are you hurting? See, wouldn't that be the way God would want us to respond? And, that's, and, and we're all in this together. We all need each other for this. Piper says that anger is a spiritual equivalent of biological adrenaline. It's, it's there. It's an emotion that wants to get us off of our pews and to do something for the glory and name of the Lord and the advancement of the gospel. We've got to remember in this, we're not God 
<laughs> we need to evaluate situations. We need to be slow to anger so that, that our responses are literally bringing about righteous lifestyles and cures and deliverance to people rather than problems. A man named Trapp said it this way, He that would be angry and not sin, let him be angry at nothing but sin. So there's some ways that we can put on anger that's majestic, that has to do with the glory of God. But we can also resist anger. And some of the ways that we do that, when Paul says, don't sin, I've got to tell you, I'm a lot more familiar with this part. Okay, just so you know, I'm not as familiar with the be angry and righteous anger, anger. I am much more familiar with grace-resisted anger. And what is grace-resisted anger? Well, first of all, it's this. It's, it's understanding that no one makes you angry, okay? <laughs> Are you with me on that? You make me so angry. No. You know, no, no one makes you angry. Jesus put it this way. You know, you guys are sitting there thinking that, that it's all the stuff that goes into your mouth that defiles you. You know, he was talking about foods and things like that, but really the situation is it's not what is on the outside going into you that defiles you. So it's not, you can't sit there and say, I was never an angry person until I got married. Isn't that encouraging for your spouse, too? You know, I mean, yes, that's right, because you married the devil, you know. No, no. Um, Jesus is saying, there was already a problem in your heart. It's not what was on the outside. It's not what you faced outwardly that made you angry. It was what was already inside of you. So, so it, what we're talking about is not just dealing with the outburst of anger. It's what was going on in my heart prior to the outburst. What was God doing? Sid Galloway, who was a biblical counselor that we studied under in, in, uh, when we lived in New Orleans and were serving the, the Lakeview Church, Sid talked about he, would, he got out a tube of toothpaste and take off the lid, and he would take his fist, and he would just smash it with, the, with pressure into the tube of the toothpaste. And somebody's giggling already about that. And he, then Sid would ask like the no-brainer question, and he would say, okay, did the pressure of my fist hitting this tube of toothpaste magically create toothpaste? Well, the answer, no. What it did was reveal what was already on the inside. And so there you start to deal with, okay, well, what are the ruling desires of my life? What, what, I, what, what belief issues are out of order in regard to trusting the Lord in, in my life? What, where, where, do, where do I need to learn that I'm desiring something more than I should be? The other element of that is we have a tendency to think kind of highly of ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever pulled this kind of a deal and you've said, well, I'm a pretty good person. I only have been really angry, like angry, angry against that individual because of what they did to me. You know, that's not true either. You, you drew a line in the sand. We all have these lines that we've drawn in the sand. And what we've done there is we've said, you and I will we'll get along well unless you cross this line. 
And in your life, you had a person that crossed your line. The problem is the line is still there for other people to cross too. Guys, anger is like a leaven. It's, it, it's, it's, it, does, it doesn't have a tendency to want to stay put. Have you noticed? If it's affecting one area of your relationship and you're not turning to the Lord for grace in that time of need, have you ever noticed that angry people end up becoming angry at more people? It doesn't stay where you wanted it to stay. So we have a... But I, I want you to see. So when we're resisting grace and expressing anger, the, really, the issue isn't the anger. The issue is faith... Am I being renewed in my mind about who Christ is and how Christ responds to life and that Christ has made me new and and that I'm in Him and that sin is paid for and and righteousness has been given and reckoned and and, and those kind of things? Or is there an issue like in James that says, why do you, what's the cause of conflicts among you? And and James answers the question, isn't the cause of conflicts the, the war that's going on in your heart? You want something so bad, and, and you want it bad enough that you're willing to commit murder. It's the weirdest passage. Have you ever read it in James? It, you want something so bad, and you're willing to kill somebody. Let's put it back in our day of the day. You're willing to yell at somebody to get it. You're willing, how about this? You're willing not to talk. What's wrong? Nothing. And you're punishing with your silence. But this, the issue is still, I want something more than I want Jesus. I want, I want my glorification more than I want his glorification. And that's where we need to help. Care groups are a great place for this, to be able to talk about what is controlling my heart more lately. And then to care for each other and to pray for each other to overcome. Craig, what time are we supposed to end? Like 20 minutes ago? <laughs> Ten minutes ago. Crud. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Um, anyway, so let's, uh, so let's be careful of how we can respond in these sort of anger things. I, w- I want to give you an illustration. I forgot to do this the first service. <clears throat> Just so you'll know, this is, this is still an unrighteous sort of response, but it, at least it gives you an, a, an idea that you can control your anger. Um, have you ever been in an argument at home and you're just, the, the temperatures are rising, and now the, the yelling is going on, and you're just blistering that person, and the phone rings. <laughs> it's crazy how this works. And so you're, you're and this is, I think you understand why I'm saying, I'm going to speak theologically here as well. But, so you're, and you're about to say, well, you know what, you can just go to Hello. Oh, Pastor Craig, it's so nice to talk to you. Now, why didn't you just blister Pastor Craig? Because you can control your anger. You see, isn't that something? Now, that's an unrighteous thing. What you've done essentially is, I think I can win if I raise my voice at home. I don't know I'm going to win if I raise my voice to Pastor Craig. 
Or how about at work? You know, we keep saying, why do we hurt those who are closest to us? Listen, we're hurting everybody. It's just that we think we can gain the advantage by going ballistic at home. At work, I'm not going to gain any advantage if I go ballistic. But it's still ruling issues. It's still what I'm desiring. Here is the great news. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will put in us the desires for Christ to drink at the fountain of delight, to be satisfied in Him, to long for transformation in Him. Oh, okay, we better finish. The last part, Paul says it this way. So He says, so restrict, I'm going to give you an idea about how to restrict your anger. And he uses the sunset. And he says, don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't, don't let the sun set on your anger. He's not giving you 12 hours to be angry and then you've got to quit, okay? Um, so that's not it. Also, this doesn't mean that you have to stay up till 4 in the morning figuring out your argument. Anybody do that? We're trying to obey the Scripture, but it seems like the later it's getting, the angrier we're getting. And I thought this was supposed to work the other way. And, you know, um, he's not saying the sun has to go down on your argument. Sometimes arguments take some time to figure out. Have you ever noticed? But he is saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't put yourself in a position where you're hitting the play button, rewind button. Play button, rewind button about what people did to you. That's what we were talking about at the beginning this morning. Are you more, if we talked about current events, if we talked about what's the abundance of your heart, you can always tell hurting people because they're not real current on the gospel. They are real current on what somebody did to them years ago. And, it, and, and they talk about it as though it happened yesterday. So Paul is saying, don't let the sun go down on that. God wants to give you grace to restrict it. And so that the day of your anger, let the day of your anger be the day of the reconciliation. Be the first. Husbands and wives, we ought to be racing to say we're sorry. We had to be racing to say, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I was, don't just apologize. This would be good to be able to do as a husband and wife. Honey, I, what I said, you know what's sad about what I said, honey? I meant it at the time. Don't, you know, because we said, I didn't mean it when I said that your cooking was terrible. You know, I'm just, you know. Um, I did mean it. At that moment, I meant it because I was trying to win. And winning was more important to me at that moment than building faith in you. And so I want to ask you to forgive me for the ruling desire of, of wanting to push Christ off of the throne and to be the adored, worshipped one in our home. Will you forgive me, honey? And so often our apologies aren't like that. Have you ever wondered why your wife is not very moved when you say, oh, honey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Buddy, that dagger's in there still. And I think there's repentance is, I did mean it, honey. And it, there was a ruling sin that preceded everything I said. I love you. I'm in a covenant with you. And I want to seek God's grace with you in overcoming this anger. That's what it means to not let the sun. Look what, I, did you notice I started hitting play and rewind, but on a different topic? It was the gospel. Shouldn't we hit play and rewind, play and rewind, play and rewind? 
when it comes to Christ dying for this sin, when it comes to remembering that he rose again to give me a new life as being one with him, a life that can overcome sin. Isn't that just so, so good? Last part is this. There's a spiritual warfare element to anger. And uh, Paul's just saying, please don't think that when you sin, you sin alone. If you've been given to anger, boy, you're inviting spiritual warfare into your life. You're inviting, when he says, don't give Satan an opportunity, think of the names of Satan. Liar. Hasn't that happened when you've, when you've nurtured your anger? This whole issue of distortion begins to f- affect your relationship. Um, accuser. How about that one? He's the accuser. And when you're angry, you're finding it very hard to let your grace be seasoned with, with uh, to let your speech give grace to those who hear. You're accusing again and again and again. Why is all that? Satan's not making you angry, so don't misunderstand the text. But he does take your existing anger and use it as leverage to try to destroy the relationship in your marriage or in the church or in your family even more than what would have done with just the anger itself. Okay, so let's, let's be on guard against his tactics and how he tries to weave himself in and out. He will be the one who will tell you, listen, you're just going to stand there and let somebody get away with treating you like that? And you would say this, no, no, I'm not. I'm going to trust that what Christ did on the cross, I'm going to trust that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for that sin. And I I want this person to experience the grace of that sacrifice. I also know that should this person not turn from their sin, there is an eternal justice for those who don't repent. And I don't want that for them either. So I turn to you, Jesus, and I trust that what you did was enough that I don't have to take vengeance. I want to give mercy. Amen. Jeff, if you want to come, we want to just take a moment and, and at least give you some thoughts about maybe prayer needs that might, might exist in your life. Um, I wonder if there's anyone here this morning, later on in Ephesians, Paul just talks about being forgiven. And you're sitting here this morning going, oh, man, this is one of those areas where I struggled with too. I, and I, I, I've lost hope that I could even overcome my anger. Well, first of all, I think you would need to know you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ that God is not loving you less because you have an anger problem. He's not. But he is wanting to draw you closer. He is wanting to bathe you in renewing grace this morning.